Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. I am Dr. Jimmy Christman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week, I want to bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, and professors of theater education that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 34 of Fed Talks. I'm Jimmy Chrisman, your host. This week, I have a great interview for you with a colleague of mine, actually, um, at ISU. Uh, well, technically, he's at the Thomas Metcalf School, which is a lab school for Illinois State University. And he's going to tell you all about what that is and what he does with his uh, elementary and middle school students. So I hope all of you are settling into the e-learning and uh, are not going too stir-crazy in your homes, but that you're doing some great things with your kids online and keeping them engaged. I appreciate all you're doing and uh, hopefully hopefully you are checking out our virtual PLCs and getting some more ideas from teachers all over the country who are doing great innovative things and are coming together to to share those ideas in those PLC times. So if you haven't signed up for one or interested, please do so. That's fedtalks.com slash virtual dash PLCs slash. So check that out on our website. You can sign up right there on the site and uh, schedule a time. You can be, do multiple times and uh, I'd love to hear your input. So I'd love to meet you teachers. So take some time to sign up. But right now I want to turn my attention to Mr. Chad Talon, the theater arts teacher at Thomas Metcalf School in Normal, Illinois. I'm excited to welcome Chad Talon to Fed Talks this morning. He is the theater teacher at the Thomas Metcalf School in Normal, Illinois, and I'm going to have him explain what a lab school is because they are a lab school for Illinois State University. Um, so, Chad, welcome to the show. Um, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your program and kind of your journey to how we got to where we are now. Uh, yeah. Hi. First of all, thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. Um, my journey, like I think many other theater artist journeys, is is unique in its own right um, in regards to how I how I got here. I uh, started off as an actor, which I think a lot of theater educators did. Um, I actually, if I want to start from the very beginning, when I was in college, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and my freshman year of college, I went to Illinois State University, and I decided I was going to be a math teacher. And as an 18 year old, I went to a very small high school and throughout the first semester that I was at ISU, like the freshman 15 happened, but it was like the freshman 25. And I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can handle like going to a big school. I was just a kid from a small town who really wasn't there yet, wasn't ready. So I was at ISU for a year and was like, I just, I and once again, nothing to do with theater. I was like, I don't think this is for me. I want to go to a smaller school, maybe. Maybe that's my goal for me. So I went back home, and uh, one of the schools I looked at was Lewis University in Romeoville, Illinois, um, which was closer to home, so I could stay at home and kind of, like, find my footing. And But the only thing I had looked at there was theater. And I had no intentions of ever doing theater after I did, after I left high school. Um and not because I didn't want to, but because of that stigma that happens when, you know, especially I think, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you know, your dad's, your dad says, you know, you need to find something that's stable. You need to, and, and, you know, you let yourself get influenced by that. And um, so it's like, okay. Yeah. But when I was back at home, I'm like, okay, well maybe if I'm going to stay at home, I'm going to go to Lewis. The only thing I looked at was theater. Let's give it a shot. And my, my parents were very supportive. They really were. I think I was worried about it internally a lot more than, than <laughs> what, uh, 
what was led on by them. So I ended up going there, um, had a great career there as an actor. Uh, I got a BA in, in theater, which I highly recommend for anybody because I just, I preach BAs in like general theater nonstop because the fact I learned how to, I learned how to stage manage. I learned how to do light design, learned how to do set design. I learned everything, which helped me out tremendously moving forward. Um, but anyway, when I was a senior in, in at Lewis, I was doing a, um, I was doing the show called The Woman in Black. And um, I got adjudicated for the American College Theater Festival by a man named Bill Kincaid from Western Illinois University. And he pulled me aside afterwards and, and we chatted and he's like, what are, what are you thinking about? Like, you know, I don't really have any plans. Like, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do afterwards. And so we started talking grad school. Um, and it kind of went, I went right from undergrad. Uh, I applied for the Western Illinois University grad school program, got into graduate school, spent my three years there, uh, had a wonderful experience. Um, but then this is where things take a little, it's a weird turn is when my second year of grad school, I got sick. Um, I got, I got diagnosed with cancer. And at that point, the dream of then like, leaving and going to New York and just kind of working, waiting tables, auditionings, that that became very scary to me because of the fact that I didn't know if my health would allow it. And with medical bills, I wasn't sure what I what I could do. I, I was not sure the route that, that I would go. And, and so I had to do a lot of thinking. I had to do a lot of thinking. And so when I was, when I was in undergrad even, I was always helping out with local schools with like speech and debate team stuff. I was a big speech competition person in high school as a competitor. And then I, uh, I love coaching. And, and so at that moment, even when I was 19 or 20 years old, I had found that I um, got way more enjoyment out of other kids success in speech and debate than I got out of my own. It was like way less stressful. And I felt so much better. And that was me as a 20 year old kid. And I'm like, maybe there's something, maybe there's something to that. Um, but as I ended grad school, I was, they had just, Obama had just passed that legislation where I could stay on my parents' insurance until I was 25 years old. And I, I was 24. And my father said, you need to go out and audition for a year. You, we have insurance for a year. This is something you wanted to do. You need to, you need to do it which was such a turn from him, from my 18 year old self, remembering what he said and in just pushing me to, to do this and to do this. And I auditioned and I, uh, I booked a national tour, uh, a non-national tour with the national players out of uh, the Olney Theater Center in Olney, Maryland. And it was uh, uh, Taming of the Shrew and of Mice and Men were the shows that, that we did. So there was a cast of 11 men, two women uh, traveling in, a box truck and a big white van and a small gold Elantra for 10 months through like 37 states. Uh, and, but while I was doing that, I was applying for teaching jobs because I was trying to find that security. And I ended up finding through a friend, a job in, uh, in Minnesota, in Wilmer, Minnesota called Ridgewater college. And it was a, a two year school. And we were, I was on my way on tour to Fargo, I believe. It was on my way to Fargo. And I, I just reached out to them again at, at Ridgewater and was like, I hear you're looking for someone. I'm actually in the area, just figuring they're not going to respond back. And then 
the dean gives me a call and he's like, I just looked at your stuff. Would love to talk with you. Like, let's stop, stop by for lunch. Like we can just do lunch and, and we can, you know, talk about things. I'm like, awesome. Awesome. We went to this, uh, this place called Zorba's off of one of the a thousand lakes there in Minnesota. And, uh, we are 10,000 lakes in Minnesota and we, we met and we had a great time. And, uh, and so ended up doing that. And after that meeting, uh, a month later, they called and they offered me the job. I took over a program there at a college, which had, there was no interest. There was no interest um, in the spring of the year before I got there. They had a show that got canceled because no one auditioned for it. Uh, my first show was, uh, I did Eurydice by Sarah Rule. And I had to pull, I'm like walking through my classes, walking through the halls, finding kids like, Hey, audition for my show. Hey, you, and they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, I know. Just come and do this thing with me. And I think just because of my inherent energy for it, I was able to get enough, but over the course of the next couple of years, it exploded. Like I was able to grab more and more people and more and more people. And it was really weird because then like all of a sudden the Ridgewater college football team, they were the one taking my, my stagecraft class and it was filled to the brim and they were building sets and they were building awesome sets. And uh, my last show I did there, which was only two years later was urine town. And I did urine town with 47 kids. So in two years, I went from not having a show to having 47 kids doing this musical. Um, and then at the time, I thought I was doing something that was smart. I decided to keep, like, I decided to keep moving. I was always been a vagabond, always moving and moving, moving. Well, I found, um, I had a lot of friends in New York still. And the Red House Art Center in Syracuse was hiring um, a teaching artist. And I was like, oh, this is great. I can be closer to my friends. Yeah, it's a little bit of a pay cut. But like, I don't know anybody in Minnesota. It's just me and my students like in the Casey's gas station, like those are my only senses of comfort that I have there. So like, let's, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. So I went to Syracuse, uh, the Red House Art Center. It's, it's a wonderful place. And over the last couple of years, it has been, it has really grown into something magical. They're in a new building that I was uh, a part of, of making. Um, Hunter Foster is actually the artistic director there now. He was not when I was there. Um, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful place. And I was charged at the beginning with being one of the teaching artists that created curriculum uh, with them and the Syracuse City School District, where I was taking um, theater and using that as like a conduit for just common core curriculum, because the Syracuse City School District there, um, the education system there, it struggles a little bit due to many reasons. Um, and so they were looking as a way to enrich students, the education process for them. And so we would write curriculum for pre-K through eighth graders uh, using theater as the vehicle to help teach them things. Like for instance, one of the things that one of the programs that I wrote was for second graders learning about the 50 states. They had to learn about the 50 states, but I did that through costume design. Oh, cool. And so I taught them about, you know, how to make, you know, how to make costumes, the importance of color and shape and things like that. And at the end, they designed their own, like they designed their own shirt, like their own 50 state shirt costume, and then their own hat, it was a visor that was based off of their state bird. And then at the end, we did a 50 state fashion show. And so each student would walk and they would do this thing. And then they sang a song at the end, and we called it a share formats. 
And so that was one of the things that I wrote, but we did a bunch of that. We had a bunch of that for, um, for the whole, you know, for a whole year after that year, I, I got, um, they actually moved me from there and they promoted me to being production manager. So then I was out of the classroom, just running, helping run this theater that was building a new space and was growing leaps and bounds. And while it was awesome and it was a lot of responsibility and I think I did a pretty decent job, it also wasn't where I was feeling passionate. Like I was also felt a little lost because like those kids needed me and they, I no longer had that outlet there. And that was sad. And I, I searched for fulfillment a lot. I'm like, get me back in the classroom when you can. And they would. If, if teachers were sick, I would end up going and subbing and I would love it. But then I need to be back at the school. And it would be like, hey, we're going on tour, help drive the van or help do this stuff. And so I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. But at the end, I just, it, it wasn't the right fit for me. I, I did not feel like I was going to get out of it what I wanted to. I was missing my family back in Illinois. And someone at uh, someone who had taught at the Red House, who I met, actually got a job teaching at a community theater um, here in Illinois. I'm thinking of the name now, um, just south of Macomb. Oh, darn. I don't remember uh, what the town is anymore. Anyway, she worked there and she gave me a call and said, hey, I, I know this lab school with Illinois State. I know the girl who's there. She's leaving. This job's perfect for you. Like you need to, you need to call and get this figured out. Like and see if, if they're still hiring. And I, once again, instead of going through the application process, the application was not even there anymore. I'm like, I'm just going to call the principal. It works for calling a dean. I'm just going to call the principal and see where they're at. And so I called Dr. Kaufman, and and I was like, Hi, this sounds weird. I'm I'm a theater teacher out in New York. I'm from Illinois. I heard you had a job search, and and they did, and they were struggling because. Um, in terms of applicants, there was a lot of music applicants, but they didn't, they weren't finding that, that theater component, um, that they were looking for. And they're like, yeah, well, we'd love to talk with you and maybe you can come by in, in a couple weeks for an interview. And I was like, I'll fly out for a week. I would love to, I'd get to see my family. It'd be awesome. And then that happened. Um, that was a really long winded story. And I apologize for no. that. Uh, just went on for days, but anyway, to answer the second part of your question, so I got hired at the uh, Thomas Metcalf School here in uh, Normal, Illinois, with Illinois State University. Laboratory schools are what I what I think is, are starting to become a bit of a dying breed. I think they were more popular back in the day. But our job, not only to give this, our students the the highest quality education that that we can, and to give them unique experiences, uh, we're also teaching teachers, and so we have students who are getting their, you know, education degree and working on becoming teachers with Illinois State University coming through and observing us all the time. Um, it's, it's almost like we are, the best way I can describe it is, is, you know, if you see those doctor shows where there are doctors yeah. working on surgeries and you have the, the, the interns in the back taking notes, it's, it's like that, right? And so there are always, there are always teachers who are, are there always students who are going to become teachers, taking notes, observing students, observing the way that I teach, observing the way uh, other teachers work. There are college students who are working one-on-one -on -one with with students, teaching them how to read, working closely with homeroom teachers. Uh, Jimmy, you and I had collaboration in the fall where you had your students come in and we had them teach some improv games to my eighth graders. And so it gives us that opportunity. We're helping these students get their observation hours and they're helping our students. And hopefully they're learning 
a little bit more hands-on about what it is to be a teacher than, than just to kind of read about it in a textbook. I'm just curious to know how your students uh, uh, adapt, I guess is the word I'm asking, with, with so many people in and out of the rooms all the time. And um, I know it's just kind of a, a way of being at Metcalf and, and UHI, uh, but can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, this is my fourth year here, and I think it's still a bigger deal for me than it is for them. I had told when I applied, like, the kids are used to it. And I'm like, yeah, well, how used to it can you be? Like, how used to, can, it's got to be disruptive. Or I think us as adults, we have like those social, those social norms or those, those barriers that we put up when somebody new walks into a room, like, oh, maybe it changes my flow and what I say and how I feel. These, these kids don't feel that. And it is absolutely wild to me. They just are themselves. And it doesn't matter if there's two students in there, 50 students in there, they are just, they are used to it. And it is something that I think they like having other people there kind of watching. They're very helpful. The one thing I notice about my kids is when, when there are college students that are in there, they are, they are so sweet. They are so kind. They are so nice to these college students. And I, it's interesting to see like they're decades apart, but the college students probably more nervous than the six-year-old and the six-year-old's talking to them. And they're like, oh, how do I, how do I talk? How do I do whatever? So that, those interactions are, are wonderful. But for me, it's, it's still... I'm the one who will be like, oh man, Justin, please don't say anything silly when there's 18 kids here because that's just what you do. And, and I still deal with that, but it's just, it's kids being kids. And, you know, I think for everybody, it's just a little part of the human experience of observing and watching and kind of interacting with each other, which has a real sort of theatrical element to it anyway, more than, more than, um, more than math or science, just the, the art of having people coming in and watching and observing like an audience and, yeah. and giving that feedback, that immediate feedback is, is very theatrical in a way. And it's something that I, I think is, is pretty cool. I, I wish that at times there are students who, um, who are going to art and who are going to be social studies teachers who don't think to come to my classroom. And I wish that I could reach out to not the theater education program, but just the education program as a whole and be like, at any point, any kid who's going to be a teacher needs to come in and watch like a kindergarten theater class, and they need to come in and watch a middle school theater class. Those skills of, of creative drama and learning through play are so vitally important to anything that you're going to do as a educator in the future. Like those skills are helpful for you. It's not just, don't just stay in your lane in that way, but expand a little bit and, uh, and yeah, but it is, it's, it's a lot of fun. And like I said, it, it take, took me a lot to get used to, but the kids, they're, they're superstars. So, yeah. I, I agree that there's a, there's that theatricality in nature with, with, with the, the lab schools. What I do love about the lab schools is when my students go in, um, your students are so used to people being in there that there's not that, that feeling of having to put on a show or, or to be good for the intern who's in the room. They are themselves. And, and it's a great experience for my kids because they're still kids. Um, you know, they, your kids, uh, do they apply to go to Metcalf as they do you high? Yeah. And so, so they will, they'll do uh, an application process and then what it is, it's like a, it's a randomly mm -hmm. drawn situation. So they go, names go in a hat, kind of whoever wants to apply to go. And then, and then they pick, and then once they're in, they're in and it, it, transfers over to to you high in theory um 
that, I, that may be changing a little bit, but I'm not exactly sure how the process with UHI goes. But yeah, it, it is an application process. Yeah, but I, I just think it's 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 a great experience for them because they're not putting on a show or or behaving while the intern is in the room. They're they're themselves, and and the good days happen, and then there's the times when their kids and and those things happen as well. So I appreciate what you do with that. And and it it was a great experience for my students back in the fall. And, and, and I hope we get to continue that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your professional experience, uh, as an actor and, and working on the tour and, and your work in New York. Um, what, what did those experiences, how did they shape or influence who you are as a teacher and what you do with your students now? Absolutely. Um, the biggest thing for me, and in terms of, I would say, theater as a whole, I've learned that through doing tour and through auditioning and working professionally, just those human experiences are the things that you cherish and the things that you remember and are the things that shape you as a person. And what I mean by that is, I don't remember every production of, of Mice and Men when I was playing Candy. I, I can remember an audience or two, maybe. I don't remember those moments, but I remember the moment that Alex had the gas can or the gas lever on the door open and backed out and broke it off, right? And, and those moments, or the moment that we were in a hotel and then we found a mouse. <laughs> and we're like, oh no, um, but just the people. The people, the connection, um, I learned through doing that. Like, these are the moments that you need to cherish. And that has been so valuable to the education process as a whole. Um, For me, especially at Metcalf, of not saying that I need to be in a certain box in a certain way, that the process doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be what I think it has to be. It doesn't have to fit into a confined area to where um, every student needs to get from this point to this point. It's not about that. It's about the journey that we take together. And it's about forming us all as people and as like better parts of the human race. Like my job is not to make, I tell my kids this all the time, like my job is not to make you Shakespeare, but my job is, is to make you a compassionate human being and to make you a like a better more understanding human being and i'm lucky enough to have them during those formative years where as they start to become middle schoolers those walls start to go up and i'm happy that i'm there at that time to be like but don't remember these feelings or don't forget these feelings don't forget the way that the way that you're feeling understand what's going on but know that it's okay to still be creative and keep those keep that stuff flowing because the older you get, we see that being lost in the world tremendously. Um, and yeah, in terms of professional theater is also, I mean, it's very, it's very product-based, right? I mean, you have two weeks to put something together and, and you know, okay, we're going to open, we're going to open Greater Tuna. You've got eight rehearsals. Let's go and let's put this together. And like, okay, great. And so the hustle and bustle of that kind of gets lost up and just like, Products got to happen, products got to happen, products got to happen. And for me, it just reinforces the fact of when you're younger, how important it is to be process oriented. And it's just, it's all about, I don't care if the Lion King is, if you're not ready to go by opening and it's not 
the best show that we've ever done. I care more about the fact that you've learned how to take notes. You've learned how to listen. You've learned how to show up on time. You've learned how to be kind to your crew and your cast members. Um, you've had a good time. You've built friendships and you've learned how to respect the process. And through the process, I guarantee that the product will be there. Uh, I guarantee that the product will be amazing, but it's just, I want them to kind of, to kind of learn, learn the process a little bit more than it is when it, when it, when it is becoming like a professional actor in the, in the hustle and bustle of all of that. And it's interesting because I feel now that I'm becoming an old man. Uh, I am aging out. So I am now in my mid thirties, which people who are listening may be rolling their eyes because I called myself an old man. But in terms of like, as a teacher, you're, who also works as a professional, my professional gigs are very limited in terms of, I just kind of have summer stock, mm-hmm. right? And so I've been lucky enough to have a couple of places that have been like my go-to. Um, in fact, I sent you a, a headshot of for this podcast. And I'm like, this headshot is so old. Well, luckily I haven't really had to get a new one because I've built a reputation with the places I worked five, six years ago that I kind of just keep going back. And, and it's great because as a teacher, when you're in the hustle and bustle of the school, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if it's a long day, sometimes you don't want to go out and film something, or sometimes you don't want to go out and and audition other places. And, and maybe, maybe that's just a little bit of the fact that I'm just resting on my laurels a little bit, but at the same time, it's nice to know that a place appreciates you and I can go there and I can work. And um, one of the places is the Tibbetts Opera House in Coldwater, Michigan. And I started this last summer doing a, a kids camp there and, and a two week kids camp. And this year, there's a two week there. One of the shows they're doing is ain't misbehaving. And there's, you know, nothing I can be involved with in terms of that show. And so we're doing a two weeks kids camp there, which hopefully I have 20 to 25 kids in that community kind of teaching them the same stuff that I'm teaching my kids here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like in terms of that, when I'm at a place like Tibbetts in Summerstock, I realize that the cast, as I as I'm becoming 33, 34, 35, the cast is mostly still 22, 23, 24 year olds who are just out of college or still in college, you know, from all over the place. And their etiquette, some of their etiquette is so poor. And as 20 year olds, they think they they think they are holier than than all get out. And I am stunned as the years go on. I am stunned at some of what some of the schools, how they don't, they work on the talent, but they don't work on the person, Mm. right? They work on the ability. Yes. So-and-so can tap dance and can sing and whatever, but doesn't show up on time. Doesn't take notes. Doesn't know how to take a note. Like, yeah, you're great. But being rewarded for that is, is a struggle. And I see that just more and more and more with, with some of these schools. And so I think it's even more important that, that you're teaching your students and then in return, I'm teaching my students as even as young kids, just how to do the right thing, just how to do the right thing and how to be an artist. And whether that means you're successful or not, if you know how to be an artist, then you're going to be a kind, caring person who people are going to want to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell my students, be someone people want to work with. Don't be a jerk. (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's such an, such an important thing. I remember when I was in, um, in undergrad, I was actually stage managing Beauty and the Beast and we were working and we had to call, call, I think it was at seven o'clock. We had dinner break at five. I went to go to the Joliet food court, went to go get some Sabaro, uh, cause that's what you do when you're 20. And, uh, I, I did. And then I got stuck in traffic and I got stuck behind a train and I was pushing it and I showed up to my own call, uh, like two minutes late. And my director and the head of my program were standing at the call board when I walked in and just, I'll never forget that look. And it was never going to happen again. Uh, it was never going to happen again. And they were like, if this was professional, you would be fired. You would be fired. And I'm like, oh yeah, those hard lessons are important lessons to learn. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it is very important. Yeah. I've gotten to, I've gotten to where I've gotten, I think because people like me and like working with me and we have fun together and those skills are, are not more important, but equally as important as like actually knowing the skill set. You know, you need to you need to have a nice balance of both for sure. Well, I I, I appreciate you bringing up your professional work in the summer because I wanted to ask about that, and I I'm going to assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that that creative outlet is important for you um, to to continue practicing your craft. Um, why is that? Absolutely. Um, when I go to uh, or at Metcalf, when they're we have reviews and things like that, things like that in terms of just getting observed and and what administration says about things, and there are certain pillars that you have to fulfill, and a lot of them are always um, like one of them is like a, a presentation uh, that you have to like go present somewhere or go. Um, or publish something. And there are stuff that I've written that I'm working on getting published, of course, but I'm like, does my, do my theater show, like, does me acting count? They're like, well, it doesn't really, I'm like, well, here's, here's the thing. Like when a, a math teacher over the summer doesn't want to spend those 12 weeks going and doing math, like they don't want to go in math for the summer, but like as a theater artist, you want to be, I want to be able to go and act because it is, it is our outlet. I think all artists have that that sort of creative juice, that creative feeling that you just want to be able to have that experience. And I, I'm sure most of the educators listening would agree with me. It's amazing how much better of an artist you become once you're in the classroom full time and how much you understand things and how much you can see maybe the error of your ways in the past. And you just, you just grow so much as an artist in the classroom, even with me as eighth graders, there are times that I'm working on, you know, we, we were doing Xanadu this year. There's times that I'm working with, uh, you know, a student in for whatever, and he's singing, don't walk away. And I'm moving and I'm seeing the way that he's reacting. He's 14 years old, but I see that like those things aren't connecting with him in a way that now they're starting to connect with me more and I get how to communicate with him and how to get him over these humps. And I'm like, Oh man, I need to try that. I need to try it. Like this is something that, that in process, I want to be able to see if I'm struggling, does this technique work for me? Um, And I just think as artists, we're creators, right? We love, there's something inherently in as us as theater educators is we love passing on what we know to other people we love teaching other people how to direct or how to act. Um, but 
you also, there's nothing that beats watching a performance of guys and dolls that you've directed and you see the kids get it. Um, or there's nothing as a, on the performing end that beats getting up on stage and saying, ah, yes, this is me being vulnerable again. I'm on stage. I'm struggling. I have this vulnerability to say, look out world. Like this is me doing whatever. If I do that professionally, or even just if I'm still directing or still acting, I have some skin in the game. So I can go back and relate more to my students about, I know what it's like to be vulnerable. I know what it's like to struggle with, with this blocking, connecting with, with, you know, an actor on stage, if I'm trying to get them to do something, I'm still in it. I'm still doing it. And in that regard, no matter what age you are, you're still collaborating with your student in a way, and you're both fighting the same good fight. And I think that that's important, much more important than just saying, okay, well, I used to be an actor. And now I teach for my nine months and, but I was good. I knew a guy who knew a guy who knew Stephen Sondheim and here we go. And you always still want to be in it because it makes you humble and it makes you hungry. And I think it's just, yeah, you become more understanding and you're more in it with your students, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I don't think you and I have ever actually talked about um, what I'm gonna I'm about to say, and just follow me on my journey because I have a point with it. Um, I actually threw my name in the ring for the job that you have um, when you were probably applying for it the year before I came to ISU, and I I obviously did not get that job, and I am not bitter in any way about that because I think I am where I'm supposed to be, and I think the right person is where they're supposed to be for those kids at Metcalf right now. And I'm just curious to know um, what are your what are what are your strategies and and best practices for um, working with middle school and and elementary age kids because I love the high school age group that's that's where my bread and butter is and I, I I can do middle school for a short amount of time but that's not where where I'm supposed to be um, I think people in middle school are very special people and, and they are put there for a reason because those kids need those people at that time. So what are, what are some of the things that you do um, that work for you? Oh, that's awesome. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea that you were, that's so, that's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then you, before I answer, were, did you end up going, you were at ISU, what the next year then, right? Was yes. it the year after that? It was, um, I started in the fall of 2017, and I was looking for um, teaching jobs before I moved up here um, to just to get myself up here and, and back in a classroom. And I couldn't get an interview anywhere. I could not to save my life. I could not get an interview. People would email with me and love my resume and love what I was doing, and oh, you'd be a wonderful person to talk to. And then then it would stop every single place in Illinois. That is as far as I could get. Um, and then the next year, this job came up, and and it was the right fit. So it was, it was what it was supposed to be. So (laughs) isn't that amazing? It is, it is so incredible about like looking at things that maybe happened or didn't happen. You always know, like, Mm -hmm. this is it. Like I, even I look at my job, my time at the red house being like, man, that was two years where I left a job that I loved, but like, 
yeah, I left a job that I loved to take it and I wasn't super happy there. But if I wasn't there, I wouldn't have been introduced to the job here and I wouldn't have been able to move back here and I wouldn't have been able to be here when, you know, to be close to my family and at, at a time, at a couple of years period of my life where my family really needed me. It's, it's so, it's so amazing. Well, I'm glad we're both here. By yes, the way. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And so in terms of, of best practices, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, the gambit of how that has to work with um, the fact that I've got kindergarten through eighth grade. Now you say that like you can't work, are you, uh, I mean, you can, obviously you're skilled at it, but working long-term with middle school, you're not sure if you'd be able to do it. Um, I feel that way about early elementary, <laughs> uh, even, even though I'm in it, like there are times where I'm, when I'm teaching creative drama with, with first and second graders where I'm like, Oh boy. Okay. Just because I feel that that's thing they need to just be, they need to be playing and they need to, it's gotta be guided practice of just let's tell a story. Let me watch you just interact with each other. And those are skills because they have the creation skills. Mm -hmm. It's not like with eighth graders, I'll say like the first day of class, I'll be like, okay, uh, now we're going to play, I don't know, we're going to play bank robbers. So you have to be clerks and you have to be the bank robbers. Let's create a scene. Let's go. And, and they struggle. They're like, uh, I can't, you have, you're asking me to do this. That's weird. I don't feel comfortable doing that. But if I would have asked their six year old self to do that, they're in it. They're like, oh yeah. And it's, and it becomes this thing because the walls aren't up. Um, so my, my biggest thing with middle school students because it is such a transformational time in their life, the best thing I can do for them is to listen to them and to let them talk to me about whatever's going on in their life, whatever they need to get off their chest, um, whatever they're struggling with, and to build that relationship. And then we start to put theatrical stuff on top of it. Um, I, I found as we go, um, as I, as I go in the process with middle school, because really this is only my fourth year teaching middle school students. Um, I've learned to also trust them a little bit more to give them kind of the keys of the car to say, what do you want to do? What do we want to make out of this process? At first, I don't think I ever would have trusted myself to do that because they're little kids. They're little kids. And yeah, 14, 14 year olds are little children. Um, but they also, especially more than, more than us, they've seen a whole lot of the world a lot sooner than, than we did when we were 14 years old. I mean, I was going home and eating cinnamon toast crunch and watching power Rangers when I was 14, I think. And then these kids are, they have their, they can touch the world. I mean, because they're, it's all at their fingertips and they're, it's there, which is very scary. Um, so I like to strip all that, you know, I like to strip technology away completely in terms of everything that we do. I like the human connection more, but um, a lot of it is, they have, they just want to, they need somebody to listen to them. They need someone to, to understand them. They need somebody to care. And then if you get those, that basic stuff, as long as you are, as long as you have a strict, strict's not the right word. As long as you have a, a play by play of kind of, here's where we need to go. This is, this is our end goal. 
let's work, let's get there together and let them kind of drive the vehicle because then it makes them independent thinkers in a way that I think is going to be helpful for them once they go to UHigh and it kind of prepares them to say, okay, this is, this is where I'm at. The best way I can, I can kind of think of that now um, is I've got a student who uh, currently we're e-learning, right? We are all, we are all kind of in, in the process of learning online, which if you've never taught first grade e-learning of theater, I suggest you all do it. Uh, <laughs> what an experience. What an experience. Um, no, but I have a seventh grader and what we're doing, um, our process, our class project was seventh grade. I don't actually teach theater. It's humanities and I co-teach it with the art teacher, but this first segment is mine and kind of what we were doing um, instead of going the art history route. Cause I remember when I was in middle school, I had to watch, um, Oh, now I can't think of her name. It was the nun who would take tours. Sister, Sister Judy, Sister, I, you know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Probably not. Um, I remember watching and learning that. And it, was, it wasn't hands-on. It wasn't engaging. And so what we've kind of done is just learn how art can affect the world in positive ways and learn how art can also, it, how it's changing. And it's rapidly changing. And now, like, as, as humans, we get our our attention spans are shrinking and shrinking and we're getting stuff in little segments. And so it kind of led the class to decide um, last quarter, like they want to create a YouTube channel and our, we're the Thomas Metcalf Wildcats and we have a, a school mantra this year, which is the Wildcat way, which is a way that, you know, you behave and you learn throughout the day. So our, our YouTube channel is called the Wildcat way and their job is just to create small little videos of something they're passionate about and kind of share that and, and, but make it entertaining, follow these guidelines, storyboard it all kind of work with that. But when you're e-learning, um, you have to give them a little bit more guidelines just because I'm unsure what they're doing at home when, what they're, when they're going to be able to work on it and stuff like that. And so I created strict, like, okay, we're going to be doing, how-to videos this semester and this is how you're this is how to create a how-to video you're going to teach me something and the goal would be to teach me something and at the end i can film a video of me trying to do this thing that they're teaching me some some kind of connection in that way um but i had a i had a student during my office hours yesterday hop onto zoom and she was like mr talent i i want to make it entertaining i want to make it funny she's like i also how-to videos aren't my strength like i have this idea I have this idea, like I want to do, like I play the bass guitar and I play the drums and I want to do like a video where like I'm, I'm doing like a, a music off against myself and I'm creating this thing. And I'm like, Addie, that's fine. Like I, you have to be able to have leeway with the, like with the kids and not say like, this is what needs to happen. But instead, if that's an idea, which ignites her passion to create and still meets some semblance of, of the art standards, which I have to, you know, kind of abide by in terms of creation and responding and, and connecting and stuff like that. It meets all of that. It's just, I'm pulling some of the guidelines back and letting her have the reins a little bit and to create her own piece of piece of artwork. And I think she was shocked by that. But I think as a theater artist, you kind of have to be a little bit more flexible with, with all of that. Like we don't, that isn't, that isn't to say every day I sit in front of a classroom and say, all right, kids, what do you want to do? And they're like, oh yeah, we're going to do this. I'm like, okay, that's what we're doing. Th that's not what I mean. But in, in regards of like, you see what they're passionate about, you ignite a little bit of a flame. And if they want to go with it and it takes it in a different direction that you did not possibly think it was going to go in, let it go that way. Because they're going to learn more about something that they're passionate about and they have a fire about than they will 
if you're kind of just forcing them to do it. I'm not sure if that answered your question. It I did. forgot what your question it did. was, it but did. I just kind of went. <laughs> um, well, I know that you've had, uh, I'm trying to use the right word, challenging year at best. Um, talk about kind of a couple of your, your struggles this year and, and how you've, you've kept the morale of your kids up and, and yourself. Cause I, we're all kind of in that place of, Oh my gosh, what are we doing with this online learning? This is the worst. Our shows are canceled. Talk a little bit about your experience this year. Uh, yeah, it has been quite a ride. Um, so I will preface this by saying to anyone who's listening, I know you're going through it too. And I feel for you in the worst possible way. This is such a bizarre time. Um, for all of us and we're all learning together at the same time and I just challenge all of us to kind of remember this feeling and kind of absorb this feeling and uh and use it to make us better especially when we feel like we want to throw our hands up and say what is what is going on um another thing I should preface this with is that I am pretty honest in terms of my assessment of the students that I've that I have at Metcalf and since I've been here in the four years this class, which is now eighth graders, are the most talented, most hardworking, kindest, like, you don't have favorites, but like, if I had favorites, this class is my favorite class of all time. They are a group of superstars. They are so kind and so amazing. And so this is how, so now with that being said, here's what I'm dealing with. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when I started yeah, a couple years ago, we just did a musical. We did a musical in February. Um, and it's a musical that's for fourth through eighth graders. And so my first year was Lion King. And with cast and crew, it was a cast and crew of like 102. And then, um, so it is, it, it's in the, it's ends up the average has over the last four years been 104, like 20, 120 to 130 kids um, involved. This year, the musical was Xanadu. Uh, happening in February, but I was not, um, I was not expecting the numbers to be as big because it's Xanadu. It's not a Disney, it's not high school musical. It's like, what is X Xanadu? And I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, oh, I watched the movie with my mom. And I'm like, oh, well, you didn't need to do that necessarily. It's not, that's not going to help you. You're not going to be super excited about it. But I, I was really kind of pumped about it. So we were doing Xanadu, um, but still like when we had signed up for it, still with cast and crew, it was like 110. Um, and then at the same time, last year, I added a, a fall play. Um, just because I knew that when I was in middle school, you couldn't have paid me any money to be in a musical. There, there would have been no way. I was an actor. I loved being on stage, even as a middle schooler. But it wasn't until I was in high school and I found a choir teacher that connected with me and, and he kind of ignited that passion, be like, okay, that's something I can do. But I knew as a middle schooler, I mean, my voice was changing, my body was changing, and I wouldn't sing for anybody. And so I know that there's kids out there that are like that. And so I'm like, we don't need to just do a musical with 140 kids. We need to do like a seventh and eighth grade play in the fall. Um, and so I put that in last year. And so this year we were doing, um, we were doing in November, uh, the, uh, the Greek, Olymp the Greek mythology Olympia Ganza by Don Zelitis, and then we were doing Xanadu in February. And then my 
cabaret in the spring that I do with where kids just kind of do stuff and, and an open mic night in the fall. Cause we just started up. It's our first year doing the junior thespian society. So that's been a lot of fun to kind of building that. So anyway, um, I get a call around two o'clock in the morning on in October, the middle of October, about two weeks before I opened the Greek mythology and something happened with testing on, on campus and it triggered the sprinkler system to go off in my space. And it went off for about, before they realized it, about 10 minutes. Um, and that water had been in that pipe, those pipes for who knows how long. So the water was black uh, all over my set. The floor that we had, it used to be a lecture hall. So this theater, uh, Hayden Auditorium's theater floor is not the normal, you know, masonite on top of, on top of, quarter inch plywood or three quarter inch plywood instead it it was like a wood floor that was kind of piecemeal together over time because it was built in the 70s well that wood over the next couple of weeks ended up getting completely warped the floor had to be completely ripped out um all my curtains new curtains that i had just bought uh, over the last couple of years uh all completely ruined um and everything had to be ripped out and uh and so what that meant was I'm like okay well this, this stinks. Like, what are, what are we going to do? How are we going to move forward? I had to cancel the play, but I was able to put together a, a monologue show that we did at an art gallery in Bloomington, like with the same cast, we threw something together. It, it wasn't the same, but like, it was a really cool experience. It was something, it reminded me of like back when I was in college, I would go to like improv nights, like open mic improv nights in the city in Chicago and be like, I'm just going to make a fool out of myself today and see what happens. And and it had that vibe to it. I'm like, oh, this is a cool experience for these kids. But it wasn't the play. It wasn't what they were expecting. It was it was a very stripped down version. Well, because of the floor, um, because of the, of the whole floor situation, that the theater didn't get fully functional again until like the first week of February, which means that Xanadu couldn't happen the way that it did. So we pushed Xanadu back to April. Um, and I'll, obviously now it's what, March 20 fifth now we are um yeah with everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks it's caused that to be in in i mean it's not in flux but the in terms of canceling the show that's an administrative decision um it's not a decision that's gonna come from me uh if anything happens in regards to the production i would assume that it's going to be a oh it would be like a stage reading at this point I would assume, or just have the kids sing the songs because they do know the songs. But as you know, right now, it's a very fluid situation. And, and who knows if we're even going to be back because you're not going to be back. Um, and we haven't, most K through 12s in the state of Illinois have not gotten that call yet. So we're still kind of in flux. And if if I can get the if I can get my eighth graders back together on stage for something that second week of May before they graduate, that would be wonderful. But yeah, it's been a crazy year to have two shows both of them with props bought the sets built both of them the sets were were being built um and for them to just kind of disappear without that one i mean most importantly for the kids it's heartbreaking for me it 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 stinks um but more for me it's it's now i've been building up like budgets are important too right and like the the I'm building a program. People are coming to see my shows. Now I've got income and I can make the shows 
look better because I have the money to do that kind of stuff. And, and I've been lucky enough to kind of have that process at Metcalf, but once you pay for two shows that you don't get to do, I mean, luckily MTI is, is able to, to, I, I believe I read, I, I can't confirm, but I'm pretty sure that they're going to be able to refund Xanadu if we don't do it. I think I read that somewhere, but still with the costumes and stuff that are bought, we won't return them, but it's just kind of, we're kind of just stuck in, in a really stinky situation, yeah. but we're all going through it. All, everybody's going through it. You're going through it. And more, more so than anything, we just feel for the kids, you know, they look forward to all this stuff and, and we can't, when we can't deliver it for them, theater artists tend to be able to make magic happen. Yeah. And, and we kind of just always are the ones who can like, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. Well, when the world tells you, you can't make it happen and it's against everything in your, in your will to do so, it, it makes it kind of a struggle. So yeah, we've all been through it, but we'll survive. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear one of your very favorite stories from your career so far uh, with your students. Uh, funny story, horror story, poignant moment that you've had with them. Favorite story with, um, okay. I have a, I have a couple, I have a couple. One involves, one involves you, um, one involves your class. So I'll tell that one first. <laughs> it, not necessarily a horror story, but when your class came in to teach, um, there were a group of, there were a group of students um, in that class, in, in my class, who I was, I was stunned. I was stunned at the way that like, as boys who are becoming teenagers, it's almost like they can smell fresh blood. And I'd never seen that side of them before. Like in terms of, they know if somebody's new that they can like try to get away with stuff. And they also knew that like, I was just gonna observe and I wasn't gonna say anything. And this was our first time, like with your class and my class where I, I've had students in their working, right? And so that was my first experience ever just having my students being taught by somebody else and just kind of observing and watching it happen. And to watch, some of those kids and, and I just knew and they were just doing everything and God bless your students. They did a wonderful job, but I was like, those, what are they, what are you doing? And they just knew they, and they were just playing the game with these kids. And I think that's one thing about being at a lab school. If you're there, if they, these kids are dealing with student teachers forever and ever, by the time you become a middle schooler or like a 14 year old and you're kind of just, you start to get that attitude a little bit, you know how to play the game a little bit. And that I was remember being so embarrassed, Jimmy. I was like, what are you doing? Why are you acting like a fool? And then you'd leave and I would stand up and look at them and they're like, yeah, we messed up. I'm like, well, stop it. What are you doing? Like, why, <laughs> why are you being like that? So that was, that was embarrassing. Um, I just as general, as a male, as a male elementary school teacher, you get, you get called dad a lot. And I think, and you get to hear a lot of stories about, um, about kids' personal lives that you know their parents would be mortified if you knew about. So I won't share any of those, but that's always, that's always fun when you get a conversation with a, with a second grader who's like, let me tell you about my weekend. And I'm like, no, I don't, we probably should have just kept those inside thoughts. We don't need to be sharing that. But my second year, or maybe it was my first year at Metcalf. It was a second grader or a third grader. I don't know. All of a sudden, I'm teaching a class, and um, I hear, I hear, 
dad, dad. And it's this kid crying and he, he's, he's emotional. And I look and he's running to me. And so that happens. Um, and then I'm like, what? He's like, and then Mr. Talon. And I look and he has a, he has a crayon. Um, he has a crayon wedged up his nose and it is, it is stuck in his nose. And to the point where I had to help plug his other nostril to where he could blow his nose to get a orange crayon out of his nose. And that's when I say with my MFA in acting, how did I get here? Uh, <laughs> what happened? This is absolutely insane, but yeah, but it's, it's cool. I think that like we all have crazy teaching moments. And, and once again, I really like to like photograph those in my mind, like always remember them because there's the, there's the good stuff too. Like getting the baseball player my first year to play Simba in the Lion King. And then he does it and he's, you know, going to U-High, he would never, you know, he's the quarterback on the football team. He's never going to do theater again. It was the one time he did it, but like to feel his energy and how nervous he was like that kind of stuff, those moments, like opening shows with kids who maybe will never do it again or never thought they would do it. And now they have a love for it. I mean, those are like the great moments that like you always hold on to and that I'll, I'll never forget. But, uh, yeah, it, in terms of like funny stuff and, and awkward stuff happens every day. We all, we yeah. all have it. <laughs> I got a question for you, sure. I guess, if you, if you don't mind. And, and you may have answered it in a previous podcast and I apologize if, if you have, but like what, uh, what got you into the world of, of teaching college students? Like what, what brings you joy about that? Um, <clears throat> well, I, I, I I, you and I've talked, I, I, I taught for 17 years, uh, in, in high school. Um, and I, I loved every minute of it. I, I loved working with, with those students. Um, a goal of mine, probably about halfway through that time was to, um, eventually get to a point where I was, um, teaching future teachers. And, um, I decided, honestly, on a whim to uh, pursue getting my doctorate um, because I couldn't uh, leave teaching and leave life to go do an MFA somewhere to get a terminal degree. So the my doc program that I had really worked with my life. And um, anyway, long story short, I finished that. And literally after I finished that, the job ad for ISU popped up in um, my email inbox, literally the week after I defended my dissertation. And it was literally my resume bullet point by bullet point and what they were looking for. So I was like, I have to try. Metcalf didn't work out, so I have to try this. <laughs> and and it, it it happened a lot sooner than I expected to happen. Um, I was very nervous leaving teaching that last year that um, my life was going to be very different um, in the impact that I knew I had on kids. Uh and and the life that I have as a as a, as working in higher ed is very different, but it's different in terms of the time and what I'm doing. I still am able to see the impact that I'm having on students, though. Um, yeah. And and I think that's that's where probably my biggest joy comes from is that I I can see that and I can see my students and how what I say directly impacts what they do and say with other kids. So that, I, I guess that's kind of answering your question. Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do, do you love teaching college? I do. 
I do. Um, I, I miss the work I did with my kids uh, teaching high school like every single day. Um, I don't miss, um, I lovingly call it the crap of school. Um, yeah. The other things associated with being a teacher. Uh, but I do, I miss my kids every day, but I, I love what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing now. That's awesome. It's funny. I think it's one of those things where like the grass is always greener. Um, maybe a, there's a little bit to that just because I also, I feel the same way about college. Like those two years, those two years that I was in Minnesota, I, I say that all the time. People are like, what about college? I'm like, I teaching college was amazing. And I miss those kids every day. But I know that if I left and was back at college, then I would have to deal with the crap of college then I think too. And then I would look back at like, I'm like, man, why can't I hang out with like nine-year-olds again? Like that was, that was, <laughs> that was it. But it, it's so funny. I have a teaching Instagram account and I've been reading, um, I've been reading a book. A student got me a, a book um, when everything got canceled, left it on my desk and uh, just wrote like, I hope Xanadu happens, whatever. It was my kid who plays Sunny. And so I decided I was going to read it every day on Instagram live. And so I'm doing feed uh, on my teacher account and it's a teacher account, but it has my, so my middle school students join and they come and watch if they want to, but also my college students from Minnesota have <laughs> followed me on it. And so they're like 25 and 26 years old and they're like talking to me and they're asking me questions. And it is such a wild experience where I'm like this 25 year old who's married with two kids now is like asking me questions and having a discussion with an, with like an eighth grader about me as an educator. What kind of world am I living in right now? This is crazy. But yeah, I, I was curious. I was always wondering like leaving and leaving a program like a middle school or high school and going to college, like how, how that felt and, and stuff like that. That because... first year was really hard for me. Yeah. Um, I That first, that fall semester that I was here, I remember walking across campus with our my department chair to a meeting and she, it was probably end of September, um, and she said, I just want to check in, see how you're doing. Are you ready to, to, to quit and go back to the high school? And, and I said, no, I said, I'm not, I, I I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing. It's my, my brain is cause at some point you, you feel like you kind of go on autopilot when you've done something for so long. I said, I, I, I feel like I'm thinking again, I'm engaging parts of my brain that I haven't done in a while. And I said, but I'm, I'm, I can tell you that I'm bored. Um, I said, cause usually at this point in the year, I'm, I have two or three productions going on at the school. I'm involved in something in the community, whether I'm acting or directing or, you know, I, I have things to do. My hands are in lots of different pies. I said, and right now I'm, I'm done teaching at, at two and I go home and I, I cook dinner and I watch TV in the evening and, or I read a book or I help my kids with their homework. I said, I don't know what that life is like cause I've never had it. Yeah. So that, that first year was, it was a big, a big challenge and, 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 change for me, but I think I've adapted. <laughs> My final two questions for you are the ones I ask everybody. And in, and uh, so the first one is, what is a resource that you are currently using or have used that is a must have for theater teachers? Um, I, my, my biggest, my biggest one um, that I always read is just, it's actually just an acting book. Like the Michael Shirtliff audition book is, is huge for me. Um, just in terms of, of being an artist. And because I think if you're understanding being an artist, you understand it's going to help you in the teaching realm. And so the, the Michael Shirtliff audition book is, is great. Um, you know, there were a couple of books. Um, oh, so now I can't even think of the title. 
um, the social emotional learning book that, that, that you just read. It was on your list. Why can't I think of it? I just finished reading that. Oh, okay. Sorry. I just fostering resilient learners. Yeah. That's a great, that's, that is, that is what that was on my list. That is on my list. And then, um, another book is once again, it is, it is a theater based book, but, uh, it's called performing unrehearsed Shakespeare. Um, it's a, it's a acting technique. It is a process of like taking Shakespeare text and, and learning how, learning how to perform it. Um, but there's like an, an improvisational quality to it and like listening to words and understanding and how to react to certain things. And I think that those sort of performance techniques are, they're good in a way, they're very interesting in a way to like connect to teachers when they're going to be in the classroom um, in regards to like, they're not just those normal textbooks that maybe everybody has read and has gone through. I think some of these acting books, like learning how to respond and react and, and stuff, even if you're not an actor, even if you're not an actor, just reading and learning the techniques behind it are, are valuable because as you know, when you're in a classroom, you're, you get thrown change-ups a lot and, and you always have to kind of go with the flow. And so, yeah, but that was my, that's my big thing. That is my big, um, my big to do right now being, uh, social distancing is, is just going to finish reading, performing under her Shakespeare and, and hopefully write some stuff up about it here soon. My final question for you is what, uh, what are your parting words of wisdom for new teachers or those veteran teachers who are just needing an encouraging word right now? Absolutely. Um, biggest thing is just don't ever stop loving what you do. Don't ever stop loving what you do. You, there are so many people. And I remember like in college, being a college student, being aware enough to know that this teacher doesn't like their job. Like, why is this person even here? They don't like their job. And then being in grad school and being like, how did this person get a job? They don't, they clearly don't, they're clearly not happy. Like, what are they doing? And then even in the professional level, you work with, you have coworkers that may be like, why are, why are you doing it? Why are you, why are you doing it? Like, that's the, that's the real question. I think in terms of life right now, but there are so many people in this life that are not, um, that they're just going through and they're just letting the world kind of go by them. And maybe they chose a path at one point and now they just kind of let that become their routine and that passion isn't there. Find something to love about what you do every day and find a way to laugh and smile and have fun every single day and take a moment to just reflect and be self-aware and say, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. How lucky am I to be here? Even when, even when your job, maybe administration is giving you a hard time, or maybe you're, this, situ this current situation that you're in isn't ideal, you still have the opportunity to change that. And there's still going to be some things, there's still going to be some positives that you can take out of it. There are still going to be kids who you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, even if everything in your personal life has, you know, is, is struggling and, and everything with your professional life is struggling with administration. You're going to have kids whose lives you're still changing every single day. And you need to be able to like love that and cherish that. And, and just think about how much power you actually have. And just know that even if you feel like you are not appreciated, there are so many people in this world that you don't even know who appreciate what you do, but just love what you do and keep doing it and don't ever give up. That's so true. That's so true. 
Well, Mr. Talon, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I, I wish you all the best with the remainder of your year. I do hope your kids get to get back and at least do something with Xanadu. And please let me know if they do. I'd love to come see it. Absolutely. And, and yeah, and good luck to you. And hopefully next uh, next fall, next spring, we can get something together and get your kids back in my classroom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you take care, sir. Enjoy, enjoy your day. And uh, I will talk with you soon. All right. Sounds good. Bye, Jimmy. All right. Bye. Well, thank you, Chad, for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate you taking your time and uh, sharing your expertise with us. Uh, thank you for listening out there, everybody. Um, if you have not caught up on all the past episodes, please take some time. Go and subscribe on your favorite podcast provider, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, AnyPod, and tune in. Or you can go straight to our website at www.fedtalks.com, where you can find all of the past episodes of the shows you've got on the website, you've got that each teacher has their own page with a, their list of resources that they, they give out on the show. So you can have a place to go to, to find those. If you didn't have a chance to write them down while you were in your car or, or on the treadmill, whatever you were doing as you were listening, when they gave those, they are right there for you. But go on those podcast providers if you want it just to automatically populate in your podcast app on your phone or on your computer or your tablet. Um, you can subscribe to the show on any of those, so it'll automatically do that. If you do that, go on, rate the show, leave us some stars. Five stars would be great. If you like the show, tell us what you like about it. And more importantly, share the podcast with those theater teachers and theater education students in your life who you think could benefit from what we're doing here. If you are interested in the PLCs that I talked about earlier uh, before the interview, you can find that right on the website, fedtalks.com. There's a link for virtual PLCs. Scroll down the page. There's a giant red button in the middle of the page that says sign up now. All you have to do is click on that. It'll be take you right to a sign up genius where you can select the date and time that you want to participate in. You can sign up for as many of those as you want. Fedtalks.com slash virtual dash PLCs slash. So check that out take some time to sign up. I'd love to hear you on the show and, and bounce some ideas between some teachers. That's what it's all about. It's for you teachers. I put that in place. It's free and uh, it's there for you to to have as a resource and, and get together with some of those teachers so you're not feeling so isolated in your own classrooms. If you want to reach out to me and uh, shoot me some, some feedback for the show or if you have suggestions for future guests or topics you'd like to hear talked about on the show or if you want to be a guest yourself, email me at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. I love getting email and I always respond. So please, please, if you want to, if you're interested in any of that, reach out to me on email, fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on all your favorite social media at Theater Ed Talks on Twitter, fedtalks.tumblr.com on Tumblr. Find us on Facebook. There's a Fed Talks group, Instagram at Fed Talks Podcast. And of course, the website one more time is www.fedtalks.com. Thank you, Joel Hamlin and Joshua Schusterman, for the use of your original music, Magnetize and Flip the Record. Thank you, Chad Talon, for talking with me. And teachers, thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to, to put engaging things online for your students, to engage them on social media, keep them interested, keep them excited, and give them a, a place to go. That's what, we're, that's what the time should be all about. Um, and if you can teach one thing during all this time of online learning, you've done your job. So please know that you are enough, you are appreciated, you are valued, and those kids love, love you and love what you're doing. So don't give up. This is a, it's, a, it's a hard time for all of us. Hopefully this soon will pass if it has not already passed by the time this airs. But if it hasn't, just know you have a place here to come for ideas and a place of community. Thank you for listening to the Fed Talks, and I hope you have a great week.